You're listening to Startup and Onward, an ongoing conversation with product sales and marketing leaders working to align teams and supercharge growth. Join us as we give you an insider's look into the real-world experience of leaders seeking the growth stage by empowering their teams to navigate the Bermuda Triangle of product, marketing, and sales. I'm your host, Josh Taylor. How do you kind of stay connected to a patient, to a, not even necessarily, they may not even have become a patient of your system yet. How do you stay connected to them so that when they make a buying decision to come to you or they're making decisions about their healthcare, you're, you're front of mind and you already have so much data to make a tailored kind of solution for them. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. We had a great sit down with Percy Bethena, Vice President of Product at Deliver Health. We really unpacked healthcare and all of its complexities and how do you develop a product that's both scalable, but is also delivering value for health systems. And how does a product team truly innovate on behalf of the user? Hope you enjoy. Percy, really good to see you. Hey, Josh, how's it going? Very good. Welcome to the show. As a way of getting started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, how you got started, and where you're at right now? I am a Cleveland native, pretty much born and raised here. Wow, you I said grew, that proudly out loud. You know, we still root for the, the Browns, even though they lose all the time and stuff. Yeah, so. I'm right there with you. Yeah, I went, I went to, grew up in Strong, so I went to Case Western, degrees in chemistry, philosophy, med school dropout. Did, did a year and left to do my first startup while I was also working as a researcher in a research lab at Cleveland Clinic. Went on to do a, a wireless startup and sold that during the dot bomb. So I got nothing out of it, but except some life lessons. At least that's what I tell myself now. Left startups, went to GE, left GE, which at the time was the world's largest employer, which was pretty interesting. So gone from startup to there. Quite a whiplash. Yeah, I think it was culture shock for them too. I don't think they knew, quite knew what to do with me. So yeah. had a reputation of being a maverick, which I kind of relished. Went, did some consulting and went to about a 30-person company that grew to about 100. Left that, did a startup that was funded by Cleveland Clinic and got bought by Cleveland Clinic and stayed there for a good number of years running different business lines. And now I'm the VP of product for a digital health company called Deliver Health. And we build products for patients and the digital experience. So kind of a, a long road, but the last good chunk of it's been related to healthcare. And that's kind of where I see myself just really flourishing in that kind of space. I like the idea of helping patients and having meaning to my product work. Yeah, that's excellent. What I mean, you've had a varied level of experience in different sizes, different tech environments, different types of teams, different type of market goals. What is it about healthcare and population health that's really drawn you in outside of the need to impact patients or the desire to help other people? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I, I think, you know, we, we even today, we still tend to think about healthcare in a very acute sort of way. You break, you know, the, the typical mind says you break a bone, you go to the ER, you get it fixed, you get it set x-rays, et cetera, you go back and eventually you're returned to baseline. But really healthcare happens, what I like to say at the edge, right? It happens in real life, your decisions, your choices, your, your stress level, your sleep, the food you eat, your exercise, 
All of those things are hugely impactful to, to your healthcare. But healthcare as an industry still looks at things very episodically, right? Like you got sick, can we return you to baseline or improve you? And you have this very segmented view of how people kind of move through a healthcare system. And I think that's the wrong way to be really thinking about it, right? It, it, healthcare, it, when you really think about the word health, right? It's not sick care. You know, we, we, we tend to focus on it in those sick care kind of moments, right? Even when we talk about patient experience, we talk about it when you're at the hospital system, how do you navigate? How do you find the appointment? How do you make it easy? How do you understand the after visit instructions? Yep. But healthcare is everything, right? Every part of your living life has an impact on your health. And so I think that really resonates with me. And, and when you really think about how do you have an impact on that? How do you really understand how you're going to change people's behaviors and those types of things? Uh, it's all done digitally, right? You're not going to have a doctor that's going to follow you around or a clinician following you around wherever you go and say, don't eat that, eat this, you know, take a deep breath, whatever. But you can do those things digitally, right? And you can kind of monitor, you can learn, you can adjust, you can give input and feedback. So I think you, when you really think about healthcare and you really think about it, if you really embrace this concept of longitudinal care, right, everything from womb to tomb, then you have to think about it in terms of digital. It's just, it, there's no other way to think about it. So that really resonates with me. How do you kind of stay connected to a patient to not even necessarily, they may not even have become a patient of your system yet. How do you stay connected to them so that when they make a buying decision to come to you or they're making yeah. decisions about their healthcare, you're, you're front of mind and you already have so much data to make a tailored kind of solution for them. I mean, I love what you're laying out as a vision for healthcare. I mean, I, 100% agree with what you're saying. I find it interesting, though, because it seems like there's a good portion of the market in healthcare that probably would verbally say that they agree with you. But maybe the actions of how the health system runs or the actions of how their delivery of health or their focus on the episode, like you were saying, sick care, because it's not just getting you back to baseline. I think sometimes we're so focused on baseline that maybe we're just constantly seeking out how are you sick as opposed to how can we keep you healthy? How can we get you yeah. stronger? Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, not to, not to say, you know, the cliche follow the money, but there is a component of this that is obviously where do you get paid? Right. And you get paid from the episodic, right. You know, you show up to the doctor visit, you, you CPT code, you know, nine, nine, two, one, three, eighty-eight dollars whatever it is for 13 minutes, you know, whatever you, you, you're, that's how the system has been kind of designed to almost force that model. And the, the models of capitation where, you know, it's fee, you know, not, it's not fee for service, but it's at risk, right? Like how healthy can you keep the population and stuff? Those have struggled and they struggle, I think in part, because first of all, you have to be able to show that it's as lucrative, it, lucrative for the payers and lucrative for the healthcare systems. Unfortunately, that's just what happens in a capitalist society with healthcare. But at the same time, like I'm not sure the digital tools have existed to really manage a population longitudinally. So I think that's where I get excited because you see that you see where we have to get to, right? When you think about the fact that obesity is such a huge problem, right? That at some point, you know, most Americans will be pre-diabetic or diabetic and we may already be past that threshold. When you look at, you know, the obesity charts from the 1990s, that they had to refactor what was, you know, considered Consider obese in order to, to make make it so that everyone wasn't obese. 
When you think about stress levels, which we know has huge impacts for you know all sorts of health conditions, and it may even be a precursor to a lot of uh, chronic diseases, we know that the stress scales have changed over the last 20 years, right? What was considered high stress in the 90s is, is really baseline today, and they've had to adjust the scales. So we know that healthcare is going to be a larger and larger percentage of GDP. We know that we're getting sicker as a population. We also know people are living longer. So when they're living longer and sick, the burden on the economy is going to be huge. And all of those things come back to saying, like, we need to bend. Right? We need to bend the curve. We need to make people healthier. And when you can't do that in an acute sort of way, right? You know, people always say, like, it's so hard to get healthy. It's so hard. You know, like I go to the gym and then after two weeks, I don't want to do it. It's because there's a lot of science behind behavior change, whether that behavior change is in healthcare or, you know, Josh, in your world, making people make buying decisions or, you know, from a marketing perspective, all those things, it takes 60, 70 days of some sort of behavior to become habitual. So everything lines up to tell you that you have to take care of people on a long-term curve or a long-term kind of view. And that's where I get super excited again, because building those tools is how we're going to really have meaningful impact for society in healthcare. And I think that's, that's as a, as a tech person by training and as a product guy who doesn't have direct, you know, not going to go cure someone's illness directly. But when you think about where you could have a meaningful output for, for a society or things yeah. along those lines, and, you know, not to get all like legacy and things, but those are really cool things to think about. Like you could have a meaningful impact about how we think about healthcare. Well, that I think that gets the, me excited. the the trends should not be a given. Like right now, healthcare is going to get expensive. We're going to be unhealthier as we age. Like we've just kind of almost accepted those trend lines yeah. as though they are what they are and they don't have to be. And I, I agree with you. I think technology and all forms of technology included. I mean, there's a way that we can find paths to helping keep people healthier and to find patterns in ways that we haven't before. So yeah, and and you know, we when I worked at Cleveland Clinic, right, we did a lot around disease management, hypertension, diabetes, weight loss, tobacco cessation, et cetera. And you know, we used to have a saying that we we my group was building technology solutions, but we always said that it was technology to improve the human to human interaction. And what we meant by that is, is that, you know, I'm not really accountable to a logging application or something that tracks my food. I'm not really, some people are, and that's great for them, but most of us don't feel a sense of accountability. They don't feel like we let the app down if we didn't do something that we were supposed to do. But when you tie in a human being who's there, you know, managing your care or as part of that journey with you on that care, that could be a spouse, it could be someone at the healthcare system, it can be anything. But when you have that person that you're accountable to, you tend to make better decisions. You tend to stick with things better because it's not just you, it's you and someone else. And, you know, the example, you know, and that's why we always say like trying to tie people and technology together is where you make the meaningful impact. And, you know, I, I always remember this example, like, uh, a long time ago, a girlfriend was like, she's like, what are you doing? You know, I asked her what she was doing today. She's like, oh, I'm just cleaning the house. I'm like, I'll come over and I'll help you. And I was helping her clean her, her apartment. And she's like, you have your own apartment to clean. Why are you helping me clean mine? And I'm like, because I'm helping. And it, the, I don't want to do, like doing it for myself didn't really mean something, but because I was accountable to her and helping her, it had more meaning to me. And right. so, you know, those are the types of human dynamics that 
you can leverage through technology and you can improve through technology. But I don't necessarily know that technology in and of itself without that human part is also going to work, right? So healthcare yeah. works because you know, your doctor tells you something, you trust that, you know, he or she, you trust the clinician or the caregiver, whatever it may be, and then tying that with technology so it's it's connected and you get data and you you can communicate easily and freely and you can augment that with AI for sure. Like there, there's no reason yeah. you couldn't oh, yeah. do those things. But how do you, what's those balance of things is the stuff that I get super excited about when we talk about the future of healthcare, when we talk about the future of digital products, like AI is great, human to human interaction is great, longitudinal care is great, and I don't know quite yet how all those things are going to fit together, but that's right. what I'm. But you can kind out. of see that they eventually would have to yeah. for us to truly solve the problems that we we need to. You are in an ever changing space in healthcare. There's different paths that people are taking in healthcare to solve things. So how does a digital product get traction in a market where everyone you're selling to, who's delivering the actual care, the actual providers? may have different strategies, different delivery mechanisms, and they're all wanting maybe different things from your digital product. Yeah, so, I mean, again, that's what probably why I have as many gray hairs as I do these days. But <laughs> the reality is, is what we built nowadays is what we call a digital front door solution, DFD. And I dislike the, the industry term for this, but you know, the digital front door concept is, how do you build a, a single view for a patient to all the tangential things around healthcare, right? So this could be everything from the EMR, right? The the Epic My Charts, you know, the how do you get to your medical records? How do you pay the bill, schedule the appointment, do the virtual visit, navigate your way through the, you know, Cleveland Clinic campus, which is his own zip code, for example. Remember where you parked, all those things, right? Like that holistic kind of view. So the product that we build is really not, you know, from the Cleveland Clinic, we had our own interventions to your point, like we had a specific way we wanted to try and treat tobacco cessation or diabetes or what have you. Here, what we've decided to do is we built a platform that allows you to take any of the myriad of point solutions and integrate them into a single view. So you could pick Gozio for wayfinding or iDog or Purple for wayfinding. Doesn't matter to us. We'll integrate that into the platform. So when Josh comes in and he's got his you know, University of XYZ healthcare system app, it has whatever they picked as their best in breed solutions. And it's all unified into a single place so that you don't have a separate application for this. You don't have a separate login for that. It's one place. And that doesn't necessarily solve what you were asking, right? In, in the sense that it actually almost helps the proliferation of point solutions, which is kind of counter to what, I, you know, my whole diatribe at the first part of this was. But... <laughs> But I think what it what you're trying to do is simplify for the patient, right? How do you make it? I download one application and everything that I need is connected to that, right? And if you, you know, if the doctor prescribes me Noom or Weight Watchers, how do I have one login, right? How do I get this down? It's so simple that when I log in, I get my EMR information, I get to Noom, I get to my pharmacy refill, my CVS account, whatever it is, like that's the end state of have a digital front door is how do you kind of unify that whole world as a platform? And from us, from, a, from our perspective, it's like, how do we build that as a platform, but yet make it as flexible and customizable for every healthcare system that may choose, you know, 75 different point solutions that are that three overlap from one system to the next, right? That that's the challenge. Yeah. Uh, but that's also the value prop for the product is to be able to say, we have a platform, we can advance the platform, 
and you can pick your multitude of solutions. And if we have them integrated, great. If we don't, we will. And then you have that kind of customized solution. And I think that's great. And I think it really simplifies the experience for patients. I don't think it necessarily gets us to the end state, which is how do we really build that holistic picture of someone? How do you really share data across all those applications? I think those things have to come to really make it valuable for the population health management perspective of things. Do you think, um, not to push in that point, but do you think that that type of integration is making it easier for the patient or is it easier for the intermediary, like the provider? Like, Because the, the provider is providing all these different pieces to the care journey. I would assume that even if it's in the same UI, you still have to go out into these different hallways and different pathways to use things that maybe maybe it's easier for the patient, maybe it's challenging. How do you make sure that it's easy for the patient? Yeah, I mean, again, with varying levels of success, with varying levels of sophistication in the healthcare systems, I think that poses challenges. You know, a, a large Midwest healthcare system customer of ours um, is heavily invested in this space where we can do a lot of seamless integration between third-party applications so that you can go from one to the next without having to log in and log out giving them visibility to like you know let's just let's just make up an example right you you need to manage your diabetes josh like we know you logged in we know you didn't go to uh, livongo to to manage your diabetes so we send we can use the crm system salesforce to say okay hey send reminders to do it okay now we see that he logged in he's using it he's using it he's using it all of a sudden we start to see that your usage is dropping and we go, okay, time to switch. Let's move him from Livongo to Vita. And so then the digital prescriber can then say, okay, look, Josh, this is this has been working, but we're not, we see that you're plateauing. We want yeah, you to try something really new, right? And yeah. so if the level of sophistication of the healthcare system, how much they're investing into this kind of consumerism concept and really trying to drive it dictates a lot of what you ask me about. So the experience can be very disjointed still, even yes. with a single platform. It can also be nothing more than a wrapper around the EMR, which has limited value. Right. And I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, berate any healthcare system out there that's saying, you know, that's taking a crawl, walk, one run approach. Yeah, I mean, to you do that. have to start somewhere, but I think yeah, absolutely. Your, point, your point is a really great one that like just because you have all these nodes doesn't necessarily mean that they're interconnected nor that and the reason for all of them like you yeah. are talking about this interconnection of salesforce maybe sending the messages out or sending a text message but ultimately it's the brand building this environment within which it's navigating you it's actually proactively outreaching on your behalf saying hey doesn't seem like this is effective for you maybe try this yeah, and and one healthcare system that you know that, that's kind of I would call it one of our benchmark customers. They they have branded this experience uniquely outside the healthcare system. So you know it's not X Y Z healthcare app. They they branded it something unique that is very you know tailored to the consumerism. So the you know the the fact that it's connected to the healthcare system is almost secondary to them. What they're trying to do is establish a consumer brand, establish that usage, really, you know, driving a lot of content to the site. So it's almost a destination, you know, that people are ha having multiple sessions per month on the site or on the app. That's what they're really trying to drive towards because, again, they're starting to understand that kind of longitudinal view of things. I will argue that they are rare. 
there are there aren't as many systems thinking in those terms yet, but I do believe they will. I really do. Do you think that that is a long, longitudinal view from the perspective of being brand aware so that when you do need care, that health system is top of mind? Or are you saying that it's longitudinal in, in what you were saying earlier, which is the more broader sense of healthcare beyond the sick care moment? I think it's both. And so so let's let's talk a little bit about, you know, Epic, for example. So Epic being the 500 pound gorilla EMR system in the world. If you have a standard MyChart application, you know, MyChart, I'm just going to MyChart San Diego, MyChart San Diego University, MyChart San Diego uh, community group, your brands are already worn out, right? Like you're already kind of in muddied waters. And so when someone goes to the app store to download that app, you're already having some confusion, right? And when you think about the fact that as a healthcare system, who do you want to own your brand or sorry, your patients, right? Right now, if you think about it, most people download their healthcare systems EMRs app as their primary digital footprint. And what you're essentially saying is I'm okay with my EMR owning my patient because they now control that relationship between the patient digitally and you as a healthcare system. And if you kind of run that out a little bit further, it's a pretty scary thought because now what you're essentially saying is, hey, I'm the health, I'm the EMR system. I'm in Chicago and I have five systems. And Josh, you go to system A and you want an appointment. But, you know, I have your medical record. I can send it over to system B and they have an appointment for you today. Now, all of a sudden, what you've done is you commoditize the healthcare system because you've allowed the, the EMR that that provider to really own your experience. Now, the smarter, I don't want to say smarter, the forward thinking systems are going, holy moly, I do not want my EMR to control my patients. I want to control my patient. I want to own them. I want to own that brand. And so they're starting to think about this in a way, not just from the longitudinal care, which is, I think is more altruistic, but I would love for them to be doing it. They're looking at it from an erosion perspective. They're, they're looking at this going like, we're going to get commoditized out of this business if we do not start owning our patient and stopping leakage going to other systems or what have you. And I think that's a real motivator that the forward thinking systems are looking at. I think the, the smaller mid-market ones that are kind of diving in headfirst into the, we'll just do everything that's coming out of the EMR world are in for a rude awakening down the road, to be honest. Well, I think the market might be in for a rude awakening because the regulations are looking heavily at this. It looks like the incentives are there. The market is really stressed from a from a price being able to afford this. I mean, you, I mean, the amount of employers that are shifting to high deductible health plans just so they can still afford coverage is at record levels, and it's only increasing at a rapid pace. So clearly, there are some trends here that you know, if, as in a business side, and you know, we are talking about for profit healthcare even though it is nonprofits, mostly delivering the care, that it's the business side. And so following the money is always going to be there. When it comes to product development in that environment, when you're a boat in those kind of waters, how do you, what are the differences between healthcare and a traditional tech environment when you're developing a product that you found? Because you've been both. I've been in both. So risk is probably the biggest difference. Healthcare is extremely risk adverse. So what we find is they are not, there aren't a lot of leading edge consumerism first 
health systems. Everyone's just kind of following each other and the, the not trying to be out in front of your out in front is not something that's actually valued as much in healthcare. Whereas in the tech world, right? You want to be first to market. You want to be the first to do something. You want to, you know, you want to grab market share by doing something unique. Not the case in healthcare. Healthcare is much more conservative in their terms of their approach. So, and the best example I can give you is, you know, things that we take for granted today, like working with a health coach, like, you know, managing your stress, like making sure you get enough sleep and saying that these things have impact on chronic disease. That's, that's knowledge today. Like that's not something you got to go look up. That's believed and, and is known by most everyone. Most people will recognize those things to be true. When I started in 2014, 2015, in that space, I had hospital CEOs and chief medical officers say like, what are we going to do next? Sell them Ouija boards. And I mean that as a direct quote. So I, I think when you really kind of think about it, like, and they were equating Ouija boards with what again, getting, managing stress, getting enough sleep and have those things having direct impact on a chronic disease. Wow. Right. And so I think you have to kind of understand that's the mindset, right? Like now they take those things for granted and those things are real to them. But when you start talking about like, Hey, we can, digitally talk to a patient and we're going to manage their care and we're going to bend their their individual curve in trajectory and to make them healthier. And we're going to have this huge impact on pop health. That to them is like, you know, my kid sits in front of the Xbox playing games all day. Like that's what you're, you know, that doesn't make them healthy just because they're using technology. So there's obviously a tension then between product development, product innovation in an industry where you have a kind of a skeptical buyer. Maybe in other industries, they're way more likely to adopt some of the early things. But in healthcare, there's maybe a, it's not just risk. It's also just that there's a need for preponderance of evidence. It's not only do they not want to make a mistake, but they want to have validated proof that this is the right way to go. And so if you're experimenting in the traditional startup or the traditional product development role, it's going to be hard to convince them. How have you convinced leaders in that space to take those risks? So it's interesting, right? I think part of it is you you do need to find a, a stakeholder that is willing to take a chance, and and that makes it a hard sale. I think some of it is being able to demonstrate value from from another correlate, right? So an, an example I'll give you again is you know when we were starting to build this kind of hybrid approach to health coaching in terms of disease management, right, where you leverage technology, we still had a human involved. All of the market was saying at that point, like, just do like automate, do run keeper fitness pal, lose it, right? You don't need humans. Your your cost model's too high. We're not going to invest in you. And this was venture funds. This were innovation groups coming out of healthcare systems uh, that are that are designed to be investing in the future of healthcare. And they were like, that model's not going to work. That model's not going to work. And we were like, look, the correlate is games. Though 20% of the people download a game on their app, they'll grind it out. They'll pay the money or they'll just grind the app out, the game out till they're done. 80% of the people are done in 14 days. You can ask Activision, you can ask whomever you want. Most people are done with the game somewhere around 14 to 21 days. And that's what's exactly what you're going to see with Lose It. And, you know, and again, not done a great job. And they've, they've, those are, you know, have a real value for certain people. So I don't want to 
uh, sound negative about all that, but those types of like tracking apps have a really limited self life for a really limited subset of people. But what we could show is when you have a human involved, you have this kind of stickiness and this ability to kind of you know stay keep people longer. Yeah, actually short. 14 day engagement for Candy Crush is a little different than 14 days engagement for something that's impactful like diabetes management. <laughs> yeah, and, and if you you go back, right, what they would say, the, the counter argument was, hey, we used to, we do human stuff, like, you know, United Healthcare, Aetna, Cigna, they call our diabetic patients every two weeks or every, you know, every month. It's like, listen, you cannot call someone up First of all, no one answers their phone anymore. And this was even 10 years ago. No one answers their phone anymore. It's ironic that we still call it a phone, but no one no one actually answers it, right? So let's just say you do get someone, you can't say, hey, Josh, I'm Nurse Betty. I know you talked to Nurse John last time, two weeks ago. How are you doing on your diabetes? And expect there to be meaningful outcomes from that. Yeah. And that was our argument, right? It, if you can increase the touch points, right? If you can leverage technology and humans and do this on a frequent basis, you can make it sticky. You can make it work. Now, how do we actually convince people? We didn't convince anyone until we did. And I guess what I mean by that is once we had our benchmark customer, we had that one customer that was being like, yeah, like our costs are so exorbitant, we're willing to try anything type of situation. Then we had a benchmark and we could say like, hey, look, we can show that this actually happens. We can show this data actually works. And True story, that customer had people, had a lot of truck drivers, a lot of cement driver, truck driver type folks. And their CFO was like, we need to find some sort of solution because all my drivers are so heavy, they're breaking the air seats or they're breaking the ladders and then they're going on workman's comp. So the ladders to climb up into the cab of the truck. And so that was the impetus. Like we've tried everything else, I'm paying too much in workman's comp. I love I love that your first your first client was was basically the target demographic that is the hardest for all population health to reach. But it, <laughs> but just it the first client, but it's like the hardest. It worked. But it, that was the yeah, well, but the thing is is like they had the financial incentive to do it. And that goes back to one of the first things we said, right? Like consumerism of healthcare, I think we all get it. Like we all know we should be making buying decisions. I shouldn't just go to one healthcare system if they're not the, the best for that or they're, they're too expensive for that or what or their outcomes aren't as good. Whatever it may be, I should be able to make consumer-based decisions just like I would when I pick a car or what you know, whatever else, what other decisions I make. The, the reality is, is healthcare systems are still just so financially driven and large self-insured companies are financially driven that the only thing that they really understand at this point is either how do they make more money or how do they, if you're the payer, how do you spend less money? And so you got to figure out you, the model that fits that. Something I've always valued about you is your ability to uh, truly ask the uncomfortable question when you smell BS in the room, specifically like product BS. And you told you told me the story earlier about you were at a conference. And I believe it may have been a competitor, maybe it wasn't a direct competitor, was on stage and they were presenting their coaching model and presenting the data behind this. Could you share that exchange? Because I just thought it was very telling. Do you remember what the story I'm talking about? I'm blanking. It was about uh, the number of interactions and you basically called them out on it because you're like, how many of those were either two-way or inbound or outbound? Maybe they they were trying to obfuscate the data in a way that was maybe not telling for those who were not on the product side. Right, right. I, I don't, I, I, 
I'm trying to remember that specific incident, and I'm not sure why I'm blanking on it, but I know what companies were doing was in terms of trying to essentially say, like, we made, you know, oh, it was, it was, I remember now. That's right. Sorry. I do. I finally remembered. It's been, it's been a I long I knew it would be there. I knew it would. Oh, man, I'm getting old. <laughs> Jeez. Okay. So they're like, we made, I, I don't remember the exact number. Let's just say we made 20 million outreach. We made 20 million calls to diabetic patients last year. And we're great. We engage with all these diabetic patients. We have all this outcome, all this data, so on and so forth. 20 million people. And you could hear people like, oh, wow, 20, 20 or 20 million interactions. I was like, great. That's fantastic. So I'm the a-hole in the room who stands up and goes, just, you know, how many uniques is that? And they start hemming and hawing and they're like, well, you know, like this, 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 and this. And I said, and they're like, did we answer your question? And they're like, no, no, no. I just want to know how many unique individuals was that? And they're like, I think it was like 80% were unique. What that meant was that only 20% of the people did they actually talk to more than once. So they were touting the fact that they talked to 20 million people. But the reality was they only, 18 million of that or whatever the number was, they only talked to once. So, you know, it's like, hey, how are you doing your diabetes? Click. They were counting that as a data point and saying they talked to that person. Yeah. And the follow-ups were 20%. There's there's no reason to, you know, so I, I think we get, we, you know, we get caught up in sometimes the numbers and the metrics and the volume without really necessarily understanding is there any actual meaning to what they're doing? Like you can use digital technology outreach to everyone in your community and to blast them something. Well, what does that, that mean? do anything right i think what stands out to me in that story is that there are so many i could almost see the marketing sales team having a conversation about oh we're going to make this presentation we're going to say this we got to make ourselves look more dynamic and they're intentionally obfuscating what the product does in order to present value and so many teams get into trouble with this but they'll say words like we're, there's interaction <laughs> you know that's a perfect word the definition of the word means that there's multiple points. Yeah. <laughs> you can't have interaction if it's only one point. Yeah, we, we, you know, Josh, it's a great point. Like we saw data from our own when I was at a healthcare system from our own efforts to outreach to people, right, as part of the our own health plan. And they would call a successful phone interaction a voicemail. And it's like, well, how is that a successful interaction to your point? It's not, first of all, it's not an interaction. Second of all, no one's listening to it, especially if you can, you know, iPhones and Android, you're looking at the transcript and delete. The only way you could make an argument that a voicemail is a successful interaction is if you had some list that you were calling against and you were able to track their behavior after that outreach and say, we delivered X number of voicemails and 20% of those actually did something. That is a successful interaction. And and we and healthcare systems do that today, right? They they will say, "Hey, you need to come in and have your mammogram, your colonoscopy, your eyes check, whatever." And they just, you know, send that out and they get a certain number of people who will actually do that. So I I mean, I'm not I'm not going to say it doesn't have some value, but you can't call each one of those an interaction. That's right? exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. it's really important for people to that are listening that if you are in product, you're in sales, you're in marketing, any of these three departments we often talk about, just tell the truth. Don't 
don't obfuscate the truth. And as a matter of fact, just be blunt about what the numbers are and to be honest about the fact that you're seeking more or, hey, you, you discovered this trend initially, but we aren't really happy with the volume of data that we have yet. You can always tell a story, but just don't ever get caught flat footed when you're on a stage and somebody like Percy is pointing the finger and be like, how uniques are that? So, you know, I've, I've given through when I was at the clinic a lot of spoken to a lot of conferences and, you know, I would always be brutally honest in the sense of like, hey, this worked for, you know, three companies. That's what we got so far, you know, and we see this. Will it be the same for the fourth one? We won't know until we get the fourth one. We'd love for you to be the fourth customer so we can find out. Yeah. But the reality is we have three. And I, I think there's sometimes there's no shame in that. You know, like even in our our current, you know, digital front door, we 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 have, you know, less than 20, you know, somewhere between 12 and 20 uh DFD customers today. Okay, that's fine. The product's a year old, we're still growing it, we're still understanding it, and it's a nascent market, it's an educative sale, which is problematic for a number of reasons. Yeah. But that's okay. Like, you know, we don't go to customers and say like we have a hundred installs or we're like the largest or whatever it that's not necessarily relevant like if you could show value even in an n of one for your product you have an opportunity to sell it to to get to n of two and just be honest about it i think that's a that's a real key point i think sometimes we get caught up in like oh i don't want to say i'm this small i don't want to say i'm this like no like you know be honest or who you are and i think especially in this space of healthcare people aren't just looking for another vendor. They really do want a partner. They don't want to go back to market and find somebody else. They don't want to do all that work. It's way too painful. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think it's an easier sell to be honest with you. It's an easier to sell to say like, well, what do you need? Like we're here, we're listening, you know, we're small, but we're nimble. We can address these concerns. We can, we can address what you're trying to get to. Here's how we're going to get there. And I think it's a much better story to tell than say like, Oh, you're like five other customers that have the same problem when they when you've not experienced that because you don't you're going to get caught you you know you can't say those things and say like oh we've integrated that before even at the simplest level and when you haven't because the second someone asks you a technical question you're not going to be able to answer it so you know our our mindset is always to be like let's just be honest like we are what we are we're trying to grow we're trying to be smarter better bigger and that's a fair conversation to have with a customer You've had so many different leadership teams you've been a part of. You've seen a lot of different examples of leadership. We don't have to get into the bad ones, but on the positive side, that'll be a separate podcast. What in your mind defines good tech leadership inside of healthcare? Yeah, so here's a here's what I'll tell you. There's been a few really good visionaries that I have seen and without naming names, I'll, I'll say one in particular had an amazing ability to articulate things both technically and medically because he was a doctor and he was also a CTO. And it was probably his ability to get things done both technically and to get buy-in from a healthcare from healthcare folks was probably something I've not seen before or since because of that combination because he has instant credibility with the clinicians, the chief medical officers, but he was also super technical and a coder that he was able to talk them at the most technical levels. So the best example I've seen was probably a unicorn, right? <laughs> that being said, I think what you, the, the good technical leaders understand 
that clinicians are clinicians for a reason. They like human interaction. They went into a field that is intentionally not technical, right? I mean, yeah. think about it. Maybe let's take doctors out of it. A registered dietitian, an exercise physiologist. These are folks that picked a career path that is actually, in a lot of ways, analog. They yeah. pick something that they want to have this, you know, interaction human to human. They want to, you know, palpate and understand what's going on. And so when you introduce technology, it's almost antithetical to their, their mindset. So the good tech leaders are the ones that listen and really say like, hey, I'll give you, I'll give you an example of one that, you know, and this is, it was me who did it. And I know this might sound a little self-serving, but I sat down, we were building a sleep program. And so I sat down with the, the leader of the sleep center and said, listen, what I want to just understand is what is your day like? What is, what are your sessions like? Just talk to me like I'm five years old. You have a, a ton of knowledge. Just walk me through your process. Walk me through. Like I come in, I can't sleep. And, I, and that's what I tell yeah, you. Talk Where to me like I'm a patient start? almost. Yeah. And, and then slowly but surely we could start to map it out. And then we were trying to build like the scoring engine. And, and I would just start asking questions like, let's just take that scenario again. And this time I exercised after 7 p.m. Would you say that's better or worse than me having caffeine after 7 p.m.? And, and help me understand why. Or is it the same? And so she would start to say like, well, we would, here's what we would suggest. And here's why we would tell you that that may not be the best idea or why you shouldn't have a TV in your bedroom. And here's why. Like they would go through each one of those things. And when you were asking them from that knowledge perspective of like, I'm a sponge, I want to learn. Then what you could do is you go back and you say, okay, now how do I map this in a technology perspective? And you go back and you say like, hey, listen, the interactions aren't going to be the same because it's digital and you, you're not going to get to talk to this patient one-on-one. -on -one, but what if we did this? And you start walking them through the scenario, you get their buy-in. Because what they want to feel like is that you're listening to them. They went to school for a, a ton of time. They're experts in what they're talking about. They're super yeah. knowledgeable. Yeah, that's 100% right. And I actually how do you wonder, get their buy-in? I wonder if your unicorn, you know, obviously that skill set is the unicorn uh, mixture, yeah. but honestly, the same skill was a pl at play, I would assume, when he or she was in their role, because they, as a physician, it's not that they, because they're a physician, they automatically know what other physicians know, but they just know the right questions to ask that can draw out of them more knowledge about their speciality, how they're trying to work with patients and then translate. And I think that's the key is that they, he had the technical knowledge to know how to translate that to what technology should do or shouldn't do to enable that and not get in its way. My advice to like, you know, product folks in the healthcare space is listen, right? Listen to what the clinicians are telling you. Listen to what's going on in the traditional settings of healthcare, whatever it is that you're trying to refactor, whatever it is that you're trying to improve, understand the questions that are that they're asking their patients, understand the interactions, the decisions that they're making to prescribe medications or not, or what have the follow-ups, everything. If you ask them the questions of like, why did you make that decision? How did you come to that decision? How they're more than happy to tell you their thought process. They they do it instantly because they do it every day over and over and over again. But they will, they, the amount of decision trees that they're going through in, in a second to get to an answer is based partially based on experience, but partially that's what they were trained to do. And what you're trying to do when you build a product is 
take that med school training, that residency, and those 20 years of experience and translate that digitally. It's never going to be a one for one, right? So that's the part that you have to kind of come back and say, like, look, we're not going to match this up. Is this a close enough correlate where I'm not doing where I'm not doing harm and I'm still providing benefit? And when you get that kind of buy-in, you're going to build a really good product, in my mind. Because of our conversation earlier about Deliver Health and the way that you are deploying this digital front door, I'm assuming that you're not saying just because we've built this great product that responds that people automatically come because we built it this way. No, it, it, it's not a, you know, I would love it, build it and they will come kind of kind of product. I don't think I've ever experienced that in my career so far, but uh, it, it it is something that you have to get an evangelist on the care side too, right? So the, the, the doctor that's saying like, look, all of your after visit stuff's going to be here. I'm going to, you know, you can message me here. I'm going to connect you to this tracking, Livongo, Noom, whatever thing. You can get your refills here. They're an instrumental part of that process, right? If if they're not evangelizing the digital front door, the digital front door will have no users, except for the early adopters or the tech adopters, yeah. right? So they're a necessary part of every every time we release, uh, you know, a DFD solution. There's a large part of that is galvanizing support from some stakeholders within the healthcare system because they're the ones who are going to start to drive that that adoption. And they're the ones who are going to get more doctors to talk about it. So those things are super important as well. Like your audience isn't just the patient in the in that world. Your audience is the, the healthcare facility and the, the the clinicians because they can drive can make or break to, the success. They they really are. They yeah. really are. Yeah, that's great. Point. Well, as we close, if you were to give any advice to somebody who's younger in their career, may not be in a leadership position, maybe they are. And they're they're trying to have more influence in their team. What's one thing that you would suggest that they either start doing or even stop doing to be more effective in having influence? First of all, I object to the premise of the question because it implies I'm old. Well, I'm glad I'm glad we're both not on video because I think that maybe we could persuade people by our young sounding voices that we're not old. Yeah, it's a great question. I think, you know, listen. Like, I don't think enough people just spend enough time listening to what's actually being said. I think what I find a lot is people want to be right. People want to win the argument. People want their point to be victorious. And listen, if you want to build a really good product, understand that there's a lot of smart people in your team who have smart ideas and you need to listen. Because what I find is, you know, I have a good idea now and then. Great. My team has a lot of great ideas super often. And if I'm not listening, I'm missing. And your really and your product people need to listen to everyone. And that means the client success, the customer success, whatever you're calling them, your sales, your developers too. You know, and oftentimes we tend to treat developers like short order cooks. There, there, there is much part of the product development cycle and the product ideation cycle as anyone because they they see opportunities. They really do see pathways through their own application in ways that no one else does because they're the if ones. If you give them the know. chance too, sometimes they're not even being brought into those conversations. And I think what I would say is, if you're, you know, I, I not to get too long winded here, Josh, but like I've been in product roles where IT has been a separate group, and I've been in product roles where product oversee has that you know, has a, a director of technology and a director of product type of situation. 
the closer you can bring those two groups together, whatever the silo structure is, doesn't matter. The, the closer you can bring them into the fold and have them be a, a meaningful participant in the ideation, the investigation, only only adds value. I, I don't see it not having value because they have a different view of things. And the same thing, sales, client success. Now, sales, you know, they have the stigma. Of, they'll just say whatever is necessary to get the deal done. Then, while that's true, they're all they they're awesome listeners. A good salesperson is probably the best listener in your organization, right? Because they're trying to hear what the customer's saying, and they don't always understand because they're not they're not product people. They're not necessarily technical people, and they may not so even good. be you know in yeah. that deep into the subject matter they don't need to be but if you can extract that information with them and you couple that with what the developers are seeing and you listen you're going to do really well and so that that's my two cents even though you know i still object to the premise of the question of inferring that i'm old <laughs> well i think your answer betrays your age because there's no way you would have that answer if you were younger <laughs> i just read it in a fortune uh, you cookie, might Josh. you might have that answer you might have it was answer. in a fortune cookie you know oh yeah that was a big fortune cookie <laughs> I am a little I am a little verbose. I apologize. No, I think what you just said is a spot on. I feel like there are so many early judgments we have against other people and other teams, mainly because of the silos and because we don't interact with them on a regular basis. And I do have a worry that our remote culture is making that more ingrained, not less. Yeah. Or at least it it requires more intentionality for it not to be. I mean, there was always this natural cadence of calcifying different departments when you were working together but now that you're you know in separate zoom calls but um, even even when you were in the building people put put them in different parts of the building different you're right. rooms different you're right. parts of it so, you know we, we create the we met we really manufacture division when the idea of product is to really try and bring that together so it is a you know it's fascinating i'm not saying i have all the i don't have a fraction of the answers. I think what we try and do is to make sure everyone has a voice, encourage people to talk like, hey, have you thought about this? Yeah, let's think, let's talk about that. Why is that, you know, what are you thinking? And get super excited about it. Like, you know, like really try and understand when someone's giving you a tidbit of information, even if it's something you've thought of, their perspective is still different. And if you can really, you know, encourage them to do that more, you're, you're only gonna build better stuff out of it, I think. Yeah, that's huge. What are you listening to or reading that you would recommend that somebody check out? So, you know, I obviously like like most people, I'm super fascinated by, you know, LLMs and all the AI stuff. And, you know, I get, you know, healthy nervousness about where some of the data comes from and what does it mean, right? And this huge push for data and LLM in healthcare. Like how do we make you know, how do we figure things out? And so I went back and I started reading an oldie, but a goodie, Weapons of Math Destruction. And it may seem like a little odd for a healthcare product guy, but Weapons of Math Destruction, you know, if you're not familiar with it, talks about like how we have these large data sets and these large algorithms that influence our decisions without us knowing where they're coming from. And hmm. if you'll indulge me, I'll give you a, a snippet from, you know, one of the examples. Yeah, so for example, there's a lot of data around, let's just say, foreclosures, okay? So we have a bunch of foreclosures in an area, a lot of foreclosures in an area. That zip code data is captured. What ends up happening? Well, big stores start pulling out because they're like, this is a dying area. 
stores start closing up, grocery stores go away. Okay. Now all of a sudden, zip codes down, healthcare systems say higher prevalence of diabetes, right? Because people are eating McDonald's because there's no other options. They're in a food desert. Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm making gross, you know, sure. yeah, stereotypes yeah. here. But all of a sudden the healthcare starts reporting higher instances of these things. That data is then reported and captured. And all of a sudden you start saying higher foreclosure rates, higher ER mean we should have more police. So the police start patrolling that area more because of those two factors. Police start showing up highly evidential. The more you patrol, the more you ticket. Regardless, there's no correlation to more crime. The more, you see, the more you're there, the more you see, the more you ticket. All of a sudden, now you have a higher crime rate. All of a sudden, interest rates go up, cycle back, your foreclosure rate goes up. So all of these things, it, you could pick any part of that circle and enter into that process, right? A higher diabetes rate means lower this, lower this, and you, you come in. You don't really understand that what you're doing is you're kind of feeding yourself. So the data that you're using to make a decision is data that's being used to make other decisions. And therefore, you've created this whole cycle where you're destroying communities, populations, et cetera. Now, take that to the AI perspective. I was going to say, same, what's what's the connection with LLMs? So this, the same types of data exist in those types of things where you say, like, African-American women tend to get higher, they get lower prescriptions of pain meds. So an LLM, one of the things I was reading, there, there was actually a, the, the LLM took the data that was out there and said that African-American women have a higher pain tolerance. No, they don't. The reality is, is that most clinicians under-recognize the pain of African-American women because of bias. And because they do that, they under-prescribe the meds. But the, the LLM that is now in the future going to tell us what we should prescribe, again, way future state, right? But they're going to right. make a clinical decision support tool that says, this person, even though they weigh this much and they're this old and have this comorbidity, we would give this based on their based on their race. They actually only need this, and you're actually going to underprescribe. The data is not there. The data doesn't actually support that, but the data is coming from bias. And so, unless you understand where every part of that data is coming from and where who created that data, you don't actually know mm -hmm. that that's valid. And so well, that's the that's the idea from the LLM perspective. I think it's a really fascinating read when you think about it from that. That's a very fascinating read. I have to check that out. I even just your description. I know you were arbitrarily picking foreclosure, but foreclosure is measured by zip code, and even zip code is an arbitrary boundary. And so, <laughs> if sure. you're measuring things based by you know zip code or dare I yeah, this, congressional um, district, which is even worse. <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to remember her name now. Kathy O'Neill. So she's the author. Go. She she actually does a couple of really fascinating TED talks about it as well. Not not. I don't think she's done anything on the AI side of it, but originally talking about how math is used in I don't want to say insidious ways, but in ways that we don't really understand how it came to be it has a lot of power. And you know, when you think about LLMs and AI and using large data sets, you don't know where that data came from. Yeah, it's that's really a pretty scary thought. That's really a good so, point. Anyway. You know, I think it even goes back to our earlier conversation about sales and product in general. Just be honest about the data. You can't really be honest about the data unless you know where the data is coming from yeah. and what those yeah. sources are. You got to know all that. Percy, awesome conversation as always. Yeah. Pleasure to see you. Good luck with all the house renovations. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Going to need it. <laughs> Stay sane. And we'll chat soon. Mm -hmm.
Sounds great. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. This podcast is brought to you by Onward Insights. Onward empowers teams to uncover hidden bandwidth, deepen customer retention, improve user engagement, and drive conversations that lead to new revenue. Learn more at onwardinsights.com. Thank you.